0: Amen. Well, you can be seated. And good morning, it's good to see you guys. My name is Tim, I'm the pastor here, and so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. And uh, Brad mentioned it. we don't just have worship in here after service, we have a, an exciting member meeting. If you call this your church home, we'd love for you to head over to the fellowship hall after this time and, and share some updates with you on some exciting things God is doing in our church and take some time to pray. And if you're wondering about membership and what we do here and why we do what we do here, uh, you should come down front. Uh, I'll actually be down here with you And we'll have some lunch for you 20 to 30 minutes is all we'll take Just to share who we are, why we do, what we do How you can be involved in that So we encourage you, starting point down here After service, membership meeting In the Fellowship Hall after service as well To join us for one of those And then I'm excited to get into God's Word With, we, with you, we just read it uh, Mark chapter 12, if you didn't already grab a Bible Make sure you do that, get God's Word in front of you uh, Mark 12 And uh, we're looking at a topic that I would just venture to say uh, most of you don't get super excited about, like taxes, right? And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that's actually my love language. And I would say, well, God bless you, and I expect a lot of amens from you today, all right? So make sure you bring it. Uh, but, but we're entering into a topic, you know, Caesar and taxes, and, and what do we really do with this? And, and here's what I would say as we get started here is I would say two things. Is one, this is a relevant topic. Like, whoever said, and maybe you've wondered this, whoever said, like, church isn't relevant? The Bible, what does it have to say about my real life? Listen, you can't get more real life than taxes, amen? Uh, This is real life, and so it's a relevant topic for us to learn about, uh, but it's also an important topic. Here's how we know. Jesus talks about it. And so whatever Jesus addresses, specifically at Phoenix Bible Church, we're going to address. So it's, it's relevant, it's important, and I believe as we get into it, it's going to be helpful to you beyond your relationship with the IRS. Right? I think God has some things to say to you, so open your mind, open your heart to what God would have to say. We're going to read it just, again, it's just a few verses, and just kind of break it down and go right through it. So look at your text with me. Mark chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. If you take notes, our our title of our message is God and Government. God and Government. Mark 12, verse 13 says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we? Not. Now, to set the stage, where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Maybe you're new. We've been through this whole series in the Gospel of Mark called "Who Do You Say That I Am?" and and Jesus has been journeying through with his disciples and and teaching and performing miracles and and then teaching some more. And at this stage of Jesus's life and ministry, he's a few days before death. And at this stage, as we get closer and closer to Mark chapter 16, people typically fall into one or two camps with Jesus. They're either thrilled with Jesus or they feel threatened by Jesus. We see this in his last few days. Right before this, we had Palm Sunday and Jesus rides in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem as king and we see people lay out palm branches and wave them in the air and say things like, Hosanna, save us. You're the savior, Jesus. And they're chanting for Jesus and they're thrilled with Jesus. But then... We see a string of accounts where they feel threatened by Jesus. Not so thrilled with King Jesus waving palm branches anymore. And that's the text we come to today. There's two groups specifically who feel threatened by Jesus. You see it in verse 13. Look at the text. It's the Pharisees. And then you also see the Herodians. Now, we have to get some context to frame up who who are these people, the Pharisees. Some of you may have heard of the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders of the day. They were the people who knew not just the Ten Commandments from Moses. They knew all 613 laws in the Old Testament. In fact, they didn't just know them. Some of them had them memorized. Some of them could recite them on the spot. And so the Pharisees were people who knew how to follow God on the outside, but their hearts were far from God on the inside. That's why Jesus at another point in the gospels calls them whitewashed tombs. Can you picture that? A tomb which has dead things inside, but it looks nice on the outside. It's whitewashed on the outside. We know how to follow all 16, 613 laws, 10 commandments. We got that, that down, but our hearts inside, we're, we're dead. We're far from God. That's the Pharisees second group you have in this passage is the Herodians. These are a lot of Jewish people who aren't religious, but they've gone political. And so the Herodians in that day, they had buddied up to Rome and Roman officials and Roman leadership, and they were political, not religious. Now you have the Pharisees who are religious, and that's their hope. You have the Herodians. They're political, but they're all Jewish, and they don't like each other. Can you imagine? right? The Pharisees aren't super stoked about these Herodians who are kind of betraying their trust and going to Rome, who they didn't really like, who was over them. And the Herodians, they're they're buddied up with this political Roman officials. They didn't really like the Pharisees who are always preaching the law at them and reminding them of the 10 commandments that they don't keep, right? Two groups who don't like each other, Now, in this passage, we see they have joined forces, Herodians, Pharisees. It, it would be like Apple and Microsoft merging, right? It's blasphemy, I know, right? Some of you look at your phone, like that would never happen. Samsung, you would never do that. iPhone, you would, you would never merge, right? But that's what this is like. It would be like football fans, Cardinals and 49ers combining teams. That should be heresy, right? You should boo that, right? Cardinals fans, I guess nobody's Cardinals fans in here. You, they combine teams, but listen, here, here's the caveat to all this. It would be like Apple, Apple, Microsoft, Merge, Cardinals, 49ers, Merge, combine Teams. But there you go. Boo. But it would be like, you're getting ready to cheer, Michael. It would be like they combine teams, Cardinals, and 49ers to beat the Seahawks. Woo! Right? Now that's what's happening here. You see, the the Herodians and the Pharisees, they don't like each other, but they're like, hey, maybe you're not so bad after all. Why? Not because they like each other. It's because they hate Jesus. There's a greater enemy that's bringing them together, and they want to take Jesus out, so they'll even buddy up to people that they don't like because of how much they hate Jesus. That's what's happening. That's the context that we come to. And, And Mark tells us that they combine forces to set a trap for Jesus. Do you see that word trap? That, that literally, in the original language, is this idea of hunting. The context is like a trap that you set when you're, you're hunting. And I don't know if we have any hunters in the room. We got any hunters in the room? Hunt, fish. Okay, heard a cough. That's good. Um, that means yes in my books. So I'll take that. Um, if you hunt or fish, how, how does it work? Do you, do you so let's say deer hunting. Do you walk up to a deer and just shoot them? That would be impressive, right? If you were able just to walk up to a deer. For generations, people haven't been able to do that. But you can just walk up to a deer and shoot them. No, you don't do that. What do you do? Camo. You, you hide in a deer stand. Or you, maybe you have a bow and you walk up and you slowly creep up. You, you track their, their steps. Maybe you make a call with your mouth that makes it sound like you're one of them. Because you're trying to trap them. If you fish, you don't just reach down in the water and pull out a fish with your bare hands. That would be impressive again. But you don't do that, what do you do? You toss out a bait, a lure, something that kind of looks like something they would want, and you start to reel it in, and then when they come, they take the bite, right? They're setting a trap for Jesus. They're trying to lure him in. In this case, they're trying to butter him up, make themselves sound like they're on his side. You see it in the text. Look at it with me, verse 14. They say, Jesus, you're true. Jesus, you're the truth. Jesus, you don't care about people's opinions, which is true. Jesus, you're not swayed by appearances. Jesus, you teach the way of God. Pharisees and Herodians, they didn't believe any of that. But these are actually true things about Jesus. Why are they saying them? Buttering up, setting the trap throwing out the bait, right? Hoping Jesus would, would take it. And so what's the, the hook? Right? What are they trying to set here? They do it with a question. Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? They're buttering them up, throwing out the lure so they can get them to catch the bait, right? Hey, Jesus, we're on your side, but here, we got a we gotta quiz for you. Something else is, is coming. It's a trap. Husbands, this is what you do when you tell your wife, like, I'll take out the trash. Hey, I'll, babe, I'll put down the kids tonight, like all four of them. You know what? You, you don't do anything. You just put your feet up on this little table, get yourself a glass of wine. I'll, I'll get you a glass of wine. You don't move. You, you sit there. You watch The Bachelor. And you sit there with a glass of wine and you just do your thing. And I got the kids tonight. You don't worry about it. And husbands, it's doing all that. No, I've never done that. You've done this. But it's doing all that. And then coming back to your wife a little bit later and say, hey, babe, sweetie, honey, you don't mind if I go play golf tomorrow, do you? You're buttering up. You're setting the trap. And then you're trying to bait the hook. Like, can I go play golf? They're trying to bait the hook. Like, Jesus This is what we really wanna talk to you about. Should we pay taxes or not? Now, some of you might be thinking like, Tim, that's a lot of buildup for a really simple question. It's a lot of bait with not much bite. Like, I I don't like paying taxes, but I pay them because I don't wanna go to jail, right? Like, what's the big debate, like pay, pay taxes or not? But you see, in their day, it was a debate right? Again, Jewish culture, we're not in 2019, not in Phoenix, right? This is a totally different culture, totally different time, and this was a debated topic for them. Remember, these are are Jewish people who knew their Old Testament well, who knew their Old Testament that said things like, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but not just some vague blessing. I'm going to give you a land. In fact, go to that land. I'm going to show it to you. Moses, when he leads the Israelites out of slavery, where's he taking them? To the promised land. And so these are Jewish people who knew their Old Testament, who knew the promises of God, and they're in this land that's not their land. And in fact, Romans have come in and they, they're controlling the land. And they're thinking this, Jesus, God, you said this would be our land to Abraham, to Moses. Like, this is supposed to be our land and Rome is in here taking over things and not even just taking over things. They have the audacity to charge me to live in my land? Pay taxes? So this was a debated topic topic for them. And it was an impossible topic for Jesus. You see, the Pharisees, their religious leaders, People had been looking to them and following them. But now you got this Jesus, this revolutionary that showed up on the scene. And, and he's talking about the kingdom is near, repent and follow me. And oh, yeah, let me feed the 5,000 and heal a bunch of people along the way. And the Pharisees were like, hey, everybody used to follow us. Now they're following this Jesus who's going to bring this revolution. And so they would love for Jesus to say, yes, pay your taxes. Why? because then all these people are upset with Rome we got to we got to pay taxes on this land it's supposed to be our land all these people that are following Jesus because they he's the messiah he's the revolutionary he's going to bring back to us our, our land our kingdom that's rightfully ours if Jesus says yes pay your taxes all that goes out the window at that point Jesus is just like every other leader who's come and who's gone. At the end of the day, you're no Messiah. You're no revolutionary. You're just like every other leader talking a big game. You're not special. You're weak. You just want us to pay our taxes just like everybody else. And so the Pharisees wanted Jesus to say, yeah, pay your taxes. The Herodians, they wanted Jesus to say no. They wanted Jesus to say no, because remember, they're not religious. They are political, and they're buddied up to Rome. And if they hear Jesus say, no, don't pay taxes, they could go to Rome, Pontius Pilate, the highest officials in the land, and say, hey, we caught him. I, we asked him, Jesus, should you pay your taxes? And he said, no, he's instigating a rebellion. He's promoting lawbreaking, like we got to kill him. And so it's a debated topic should we pay our taxes or not? It's an impossible topic for Jesus as these two groups try to trap him. They try to set the hook. Now, how does Jesus respond? Look at the text again with me, verse 15. Look at Jesus' response. Let's see if they trap him. Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he says to them, Why put me to the test? See, Jesus knows this isn't a discussion, it's a quiz. Bring me a denarius, that was a coin worth about a day's wage, and let me look at it. And they they brought one. It's interesting, notice Jesus doesn't have a coin, he has to borrow one. We're going to come back to that just in a little bit. And and so he has this coin now, and he says to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, it's Caesar's. So Jesus says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, did they set the hook? No. In classic Jesus form, he's asked a, a closed-ended question, but he doesn't give a closed-ended answer, right? He's asked a yes or no question, but he gives two yeses, right? We're going to see what he says. He says, one, yeah, pay your taxes. Caesar's coins, like, give him back his coin, and why does he say that? Just to put you through misery? Why does Jesus want you to pay your taxes, just so you can hate life and give more money to the IRS and not make the money you have earned? No. It's an issue of ownership and stewardship. No, he has a prop in his sermon. He has a coin with Caesar's image, inscription, likeness on it. And he says, hey, here's why you pay your taxes. This guy's image is on this coin. And so you give it back to him. It's ownership, it's stewardship. But that's not his only answer. Do you notice? The second answer is, give God the things that are God's. Uh, Again, it's an issue of ownership and stewardship. Now, we're going to get into more of what that looks like in a second, but I want you to see, Jesus doesn't appease the Herodians or the Pharisees. Only Jesus would be able to do this. Jesus, pay taxes, yes or no? Yes. Oh, also about, yes. (laughs) Like, he doesn't appease either group. They don't, they don't trap him. But then we get to two realities that Jesus does bring up. Pay taxes, but give God what's God's. Give the government what's the government's, but give God what is God's. And here's the implications of that. We live, just like they did, in two realities, right? You're under a government, but you're also under God. You're citizens of country, but you're also citizens of kingdom. And that's the broader point that Jesus is bringing out here. And so we have to talk about those two realities, citizen of country and citizen of kingdom. Here's the first thing is citizen of country. You pay taxes. You're under a government. You submit to that government. It's ownership and stewardship. So you pay taxes. So today, you pay taxes. So you don't try to cheat the system. You don't try to think of every way possible where you can get away with not paying the government your taxes. You pay taxes, Right? Jesus makes that clear. But ultimately, you realize what Romans 13 says, that all governments are under God. God puts governments in place. God takes them down. That ultimately, God is in control of our government. And so here's the reality. As citizens of country, you're ultimately honoring God when you submit to government. Because Romans 13, God is over governments. And so listen, Christians shouldn't just pay their taxes, right? They should be the best citizens ever, right? They should be the best workers because we should work, Scripture says, as unto the Lord, right? Ultimately, God is in charge. So even as citizens of this country, we're citizens of a kingdom. God's in charge. We should be the best workers. We should be the best neighbors. Why? Why? because we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. We should be the best tippers, right? We have a God who has given us generously, and so we should give freely, right? And so I know some Christians sometimes will just leave a gospel tract on the table for the waiter. Like, don't do that, right? You should give, why? Because you have a God who gave generously to you. We should be the best citizens. I know my, my father-in-law, he does this. Uh, my father-in-law is Indian. And he feels a call by God, not as a vocation, but just throughout his life to, to reach Muslim people with the gospel. And so we're about to go home and see my father-in-law, and I know it's going to go down this way. He has a car, and we'll ride in his car, and in the trunk of his car, we can't put anything in the trunk because all he has in there is gospel tracks and, and videos and curriculum to as he goes into a gas station or as we go to a restaurant, as he engages with a waiter, he's going to go give it to him. And if he doesn't have it in his pocket, he's going to go out to the car and get it and bring it and give it to him at the end of the dinner, right? And I know when my wife and I have dinner with my father-in-law, we're going to have to endure that, right? But here's how my father-in-law does it. He doesn't give them a track. Instead of a tip, he gives them both he actually always, he gives them a lot of cash with the track and just hands it to them. So they can't deny it. That's a good tip for evangelism, right? So that's what my father-in-law does. But we, we should do things like that. We should be amazing citizens because why? Romans 13, what Jesus is pointing out here, we're ultimately under God. So we submit to authority. We vote. We pay our taxes because we want to be the type of citizens in this country that other people look at us and be like, well, that's different. I wonder what their other citizenship is about. See, we start with the citizenship of heaven and kingdom most often, and that's okay too, but what if we just lived as amazing neighbors, workers, tippers, citizens of this country? Do you think more people would want to learn about our citizenship in God's kingdom? I think they would. And so it's important that we live in this reality of citizens of this country, right? Here's the second reality, is that we're not just citizens of this country, we're citizens of God's kingdom. And so Jesus says it this way, we give God things that are God's. And you gotta picture that moment or you will miss it. Remember, Jesus is using a prop, it's a coin. Should we pay taxes or not? He says, hey, whose inscription, whose likeness, whose image is on this coin? Well, it's Caesar's. Oh, you give that back to him then. But then he says, give God what is God's. Now, what has God's image on it? Oh, you, them, right? Do you see what Jesus is doing there? It's a masterful illustration. Jesus is saying, yeah. Give Caesar back his coin. It's got his image on it. Give God you because Genesis 1 says God created man and woman in his image and his likeness. And so you have the image of God on you. So give God what is God's. See, many times we stop in this passage and we think the first part, which is significant hey, be a good Christian, pay your taxes. And we miss the broader point that Jesus is making. He's saying, yes, pay the government your tax, but give God total surrender. Like pay the government their portion, like vote, be a good citizen, don't break the law. Like give the government their portion, but you give God everything. You give God you, you give God all of you. And many times we, we miss that component. So." Maybe some of you are thinking this, like, Tim, how do we navigate these things? Because, yeah, citizen of country, citizen of kingdom, there's a lot going on there. Like, what does this look like? Well, I want to help you. I think Jesus is bringing us to this point, not just so we can just pay our taxes. You should pay our taxes. Do that. But I think there's a broader point that we need to see here, and it's how do we navigate these two realities, country and kingdom? Here's a few things for you. If you take notes, you can write these things down. One, there's priorities, Right? You're first citizen of kingdom, and then you're citizen of country. Right? It's not that this one isn't important or substantial. We already said it is, right? It's just that this one supersedes that. You see that? We're citizens of kingdom, then we're citizens of country. It's what we see in Galatians 1.10, that we don't live for man's approval, but God's. It's what we see in the Pledge of Allegiance, Right? That we are one nation under who? God. So God and then country. Kingdom and then country, right? Uh, So when the government, and some of you have wondered this at times, when the government tells you what to do and it clashes with what God tells you what to do, who wins? God, right? Because you're a kingdom citizen before you're a citizen of this country. So you're first Christian and then you're American. And listen, I I love our country, right? I love the Olympics. I love watching those with my kids and my wife. I love rooting for the different sports that I've never heard anything about or seen or I don't even know what's going on, but I'm like, USA, like I love it, right? I love that yesterday, the US women's national team, they won, right, soccer? They won, yeah, give it up for them. Okay, maybe not. Uh, (laughs) Soccer, let's not get too excited, right? But I love our country. I love our, our, our freedoms. I love our, our soldiers. My sister in law is a major in the army, and I love her. And I know personally the sacrifices she has made for her family, her two kids, her husband, to supply freedoms that we are experiencing right now. That we don't have to be in a basement worshiping Jesus. We're doing it loudly with drums and cymbals and a microphone, and I'm yelling a lot. And I love that. I love our country but I worship Jesus, right? And so there's some priorities here. There's some navigating these two realities. And maybe you've wondered at times, like, how, how do we do that? And so you, you worship Jesus, and then you vote, right? You worship Jesus, and then you place your vote. We're going to enter an election season soon. You, you should know that. Worship Jesus, then vote. Why? Because if you're not careful, you could worship the politician who's sinful and imperfect, but just has, happens to have a public office, right. And I know some of us, even as Christians, who know our, we're kingdom citizens for all of eternity, we're kingdom citizens, and then citizens of this country. I know some of us, we know that, but sometimes when we cast our ballot or we watch the recent debates, we're just like, man, and we're appalled. And you need to know, you shouldn't be putting your hopes and your dreams in sinful people. You have a savior who you put your hope and your dreams in because you're a citizen of a kingdom and then citizen of a country. And some of your hopes and dreams, they're, they're rising and they're falling with politics, which means they're usually falling. Because they're sinful people and they're going to let you down. right? And so you worship and then you vote. You read your Bible. Then you watch Fox News or CNN or whatever you watch you pray for your leaders, and then you post on Facebook, right? Kingdom, country, priorities. We love people. We love our neighbors, and then we debate legislation. So one of the things that's really a hot topic in our culture today, and we as a church, we say this, we engage culture, we uphold truth, and we love people well. Like, that's what we do. And so One thing that's requiring a lot of debate about legislation is families at the border and immigrants and how they come over and should they stay and should we build a wall. And there's lots of talk about legislation, not much talk about loving our neighbor. And listen, if you're a Christian, that means you have God's image on you, not the government's image on you. That's the coin. That's your tax. That's your vote. That's not breaking the law. But as a Christian, you are a kingdom citizen and God's image is on you. And so that takes precedence. So you you love your neighbor and then you debate legislation, right? First Corinthians says that, right? That without love, we are nothing, right? We can do all these other things. We can talk about all these other things. But if we don't have love, if we don't love our neighbor in a few weeks, we're going to hit this. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus, they're trying to trap him again. What's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those kingdom citizens, and that's on you. First 1 Corinthians, First Corinthians 13 also says, not just without love, you're nothing, it says you're like a clanging symbol if you don't have love. And let me just tell you, there's some clanging symbols in our world today. Like, debate the legislation, do that. Vote, rally, whatever you want to do. Love your neighbor, right? And so, as a church, we, we did this last December. We gave supplies uh, to an organization that got uh, supplies to our neighbors. We're in Arizona on the border. They got supplies to our neighbors. You guys donated to that. I want to give you another opportunity to to love your neighbor. Uh, We have a slide for it. You guys, you can put that up. It's a local organization called Gathering Humanity. This is a non-denominational, non-political organization uh, who serves refugees in general, but also families at the border right now. Maybe some of you are wondering, maybe some of you want to. You're like, man, I the debate about legislation, like I get that, but love neighbor, like that precedes that. Some of you want to, and and I don't want to just leave you with a vague, like go do that. I want to give you some ways to do that. So this is one way to do that. It's a local reputable organization who does great things. Uh, My wife and I went to the website last night. We'll send out the link later, but they have multiple ways to help. One of them is an Amazon shopping list. You click the button, the Amazon icon. It takes you to Amazon. There's There's a wish list with things like washcloths and deodorants and socks, and we just added those to a cart, and we sent them to the organization, and then they're going to bring them to the families, and we get to love our neighbor in a really easy way, Why? We're citizens of kingdom, and then we're citizens of country. Let me just paint this picture for you, and this is what the rest of the Bible teaches. This is what Revelation shows us, that as we think about kingdom and country, we will be there a lot longer than we'll be here. That's why it's called eternal life, right? And the scripture speaks about eternal life this way in the kingdom of God, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be gathered side by side. And we won't be standing and we won't be debating. We will be worshiping on our knees at the feet of Jesus. Not just for the next 40 years, for the next 40 million infinity years. So, how do you navigate these two realities? You live as a citizen of this country today with the the day of being a citizen of God's kingdom forever in mind, right? You live today as a citizen of this country in view of eternity where you'll be a citizen of God's kingdom, And so that's how you navigate these realities. And so the question today, is: we we look at this topic of taxes and government and God, the question is, how are you doing with the government? Maybe you need to make some adjustments and maybe you need to make some, some payments and maybe you need to stop breaking the law. Maybe you need to be a better worker and a better neighbor and a better tipper. Like, how are you doing with the government? And some of you need to answer that question, but more importantly, how are you doing with God? Are you giving God all of you, what are you holding back from that? Is it your politics? Is it aside? Is it legislation? Is it your wallet? Is it your finances? Is it your sexuality? What are you holding back? God's image is on you, all of you. He wants you to give all of you to him. What are you holding back? Lastly, there are two citizenships here, but there's also two kings. There's a king with all the coins. That was Caesar. Right? He has all these coins. Who's on this coin? Give it back to him. There's a king with all the coins. There's a king with no coins. Remember Jesus's illustration? I said, we're coming back here. Jesus had to borrow a coin to do this illustration. Now, as a preacher, I thought Jesus preaching 101. Don't forget the prop for your sermon. Right? How do you not have a coin? And he had to ask somebody for one, and they bring him one. Listen, Jesus had all the coins. He was seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, in heaven, sustaining the universe by the power of his word. Jesus had all the coins, all the riches like you and I would be jealous of, like we don't even know of. Jesus had those as the rightful son of God sitting, reigning over all of the universe. Jesus had all the coins, but Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of them. He gave them up and he became a servant and he was born in the likeness of man. He was born in the likeness of you and he came to earth and he descended and he was born in a barn, lived as a carpenter for 30 years. Nobody even knew who he was and he died on a cross. He had all the coins. Philippians 2 says he gave them up for you. This is the God who's asking you to pay your taxes but also give total surrender to him. This is the loving God Who gave himself up for you and is now calling you to do the same for him. Whatever that means. That's the God who's called you here this morning. It's not by accident that you're here. God went to great lengths to come down to get you. To meet you here today. June 30th, 2019, in the midst of our culture, in the midst of this country, to show you how to be a citizen of his kingdom for all of eternity, that there's joy there, there's glory there for the Father forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you that even in a text on taxes, we can learn about the character and nature and person and work of God. God, I pray that as we, as we learn about that and navigate two realities that are both significant, we would just understand the priority of those things. We would understand what it means to live as a kingdom citizen here on earth. And God, we would honor you, we would love you, and we would love other people well in the midst of that. And God, I pray that if there's any part of our lives that we're holding back right now, maybe we've given you our spirituality, our spirituality, but not our sexuality. God, we would give that. Your your image is on us. We would give everything to you. Maybe we give you our worship and we raise hands, but we don't give you our wallet. We would give that now. Maybe we give our prayers, but not our politics. We would give that too. We would give everything we have to you. You did that for us. And so may we, in, in all of that, in celebration of that, of a God who calls us a child, Sinners, unclean, who've rebelled, who consistently run away from you, who consistently think we know better than you, and you pursue us, and you call us not just like, hey, cursing, hey, don't mess this thing up, hey, you sit over there on the sidelines, you call us beloved child. I'm always amazed at that, that as you try to think of illustrations of a way to to talk about our relationship with you. You said, Father, child, the most vivid example of unconditional love that we have. And it's, God, you you are that God calling us to give our lives to you. Help us to remember that and live that out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.